0: Instructions for Christian households Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Good morning, everyone. My name's
1: Scott. Um, Really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, This week I was on the website for a group called Relationships Australia. They're a um, non religious group, they run all across Australia. And what they do is provide services, um, uh, sorry, support for people who are in. Uh, relationships, and that is not kind of just friendships, but intimate kind of relationships. And I came across an article on their website from 2019. It was Contemporary Australian Views of Marriage. And here's some of the things that they said. Um, So they start off saying, recently there's been a whole lot of social change, and that's led to some of the changes in the way we see marriage. And people are now, this is according to the report, people are now questioning how relevant marriage is. And so they gave some statistics to back up this claim. They said you know, less people are getting married, more people are getting divorced, more kids are born outside of marriages, people are waiting longer to get married, and more people are living together without actually being married. And so they say all of this points to that it seems in Australia we don't value marriage like we used to. But then the article went on to talk about a different study. And it showed this, that the majority of young, unmarried Australians strongly express a preference for marriage. You might ask, well, why is that then, if we don't value marriage? And it goes on, it's because they have a desire to form stable and nurturing relationships and to raise children in happy, stable family settings. It seems like these two things shouldn't fit together, right? On the one hand, apparently we don't value marriage like we used to, but on the other hand, we want it. Strange that these two things shouldn't go together, right? But according to the research, that's that's what's true. I think, what do we make of all this? Is there a devaluing of marriage in Australia? Well, maybe, but clearly that's not the case with everyone, is it? Maybe I wonder if what's happening is we want marriage. We see it as a good thing, but then when we're there, we find out it's not all sunshine and roses, right? Every marriage has its own difficulties. And maybe that becomes a bit of a turn-off for us later in life. So, how do we go about this thing called marriage? How do we do it well? I want to say the Bible has some wonderful things to say about marriage. And the Bible can sometimes get a bad rap on this topic. It's called you know, being too, too restrictive and outdated and one thing or another. But I want to show you today that what the Bible has to say about marriage is actually some really great stuff for us and, and, and really practical for our marriages. So at church here we're doing this with series on relationships and today we're turning to the marriage relationship so this is a bit strange often what we do in a church is we take a book of the bible and we go through that but we're taking four weeks just to think about relationships today on marriage and so here's what we're going to do for today firstly we're going to look at two important bible passages about marriage and then uh, then i want to think practically about how we stay well connected in our marriages okay that's the plan So let's start Bible passage number one. And for this one, we're going to go right back to the start of the Bible, right back to Genesis 2, where we find God's uh, pattern for marriage. Uh, Let me give you an overview of Genesis chapter 2 here. In Genesis chapter 2, God makes the first man and puts him in a garden. He says, you've got to work this place and care for it. Now, earlier, God had said that he'd looked at everything he made and he said, this is very good. But then he sees something not good. That is, the man is alone. He's in need of a helper. And just a side note here, helper is not a negative thing. It's not like saying someone's inferior. Because, and we know this because God is called a helper. So the man needs a helper. And so God brings before the man all the different kind of animals and creatures that he's made, but none of them is a suitable helper for the man. So then God makes another, a woman. And she is the helper that's right for the man. And, and, and so when he sees her, he sings. This is Genesis 2.23. He sings, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. shall be called woman. for she was taken out of man. It's a real high point in the whole of the Genesis story. And in fact, in the very next verse, we get the first thing, the first bit of theology the Bible gives us about marriage. Verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Notice there how the Bible sees marriage. It's uh, between a man and a woman. It's it's a starting of a new family. That is, you leave your old family behind, start a new family. And this is the place, the one place for, for sexual expression. To two become one flesh. Yeah, obviously, not everyone agrees with this, do they? But this is what the Bible teaches. And actually, if we're honest, we don't always expect the world to agree with what the Bible teaches, do we? And our job, friends, as believers and followers of Jesus, our job isn't to be like everyone else, but our job is to work hard at what the Bible is saying and then to live that out. I want to encourage us to do that. But at the same time, I also want to say we also need to keep loving other people. That is where there's difference and disagreement with our world out there. That doesn't mean we just dismiss. That doesn't mean we uh, uh, criticize. It doesn't mean we have a hard heart toward them. We need to keep acting in love even through disagreement. But that's Genesis 2, right? It gives us God's pattern for marriage that's that's big bible passage number one here's big bible passage number two it's it's the one xavier read out for us it's ephesians chapter five and did you notice as we read all the way through it keeps saying marriage is a reflection marriage reflects something else because also the passage it seems like we're talking about a man and a woman being married but actually we get to verse 32 and verse 32 says this is a profound mystery but i'm talking about christ and the church That is, our marriages are to be a reflection. They're to reflect the way Jesus and the church relate to each other. Now, I don't need to tell you this. You you understand the idea of a reflection, right? A reflection isn't the real thing. So in this picture up here, see there's a mountain at the top, there's a mountain at the bottom. That mountain at the bottom is not actually a real mountain. Now, I know that might have blown your mind, but no, 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 seriously, you all knew that, didn't it? It's not a real mountain, it's just a reflection, and it shows you what the real mountain is like. It's the same thing with marriages. They show us something. Believe it or not, your marriage is not just about you and your spouse. Your marriage is actually about something bigger than that, even. Your marriage is about Jesus and the church. Okay, that sounds weird, right? We want to hear a bit more about this. Let's let's dig a bit deeper in the passage. So here we go. Let me ask: how does Jesus treat his church? Well, we get a picture of this in verse 25 to 27. Jesus loves his church. Jesus gives of himself for his church. In fact, Jesus loves us so much as his church that he's, he, he's, he's getting us ready, prepared so we can meet him. And this is the same way that husbands are to treat their wives, to love them. And how does the church treat Jesus? Well, verse 24 to 22, we submit to him. And we do this joyfully because we know Jesus has our best interests at heart. After all, look at how he treated us. And so the passage says that's how wives are to treat their husbands too. See, marriages are more than just two people coming together, they actually reflect the way that Jesus and his church relate to one another. But of course, we hear this today. And for many of this, it doesn't sound like a very beautiful thing, right? It can actually sound like bad news. Like, here's the man, and he gets to dominate. And what's left for the poor wife then? Well, she submits. She, she, she's, a, she's a doormat for all of his whims, no matter what. Sadly, some have taken this passage to mean that. But that, friends, is a horrid distortion of what is a good thing. So let me take a few more moments to explain this in a bit more detail. Uh, Firstly, to husbands. Husbands, what are you told to do here? Let me speak really plainly for a few moments. Uh, This passage is not a mandate to domineer your wife. It is not an excuse for violence. It is not a reason to mistreat your spouse in any way. Again, let me be clear, domestic violence, it is wrong. God hates it, and the Bible never, ever mandates it. It, 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 There's no warrant for it in the Bible. Blokes, if you're doing this, you need to stop. Probably you need to get out of the household for a bit, at least. You must go and get help. Are we clear, guys, This, this, this must not be us? Because what are husbands to do? The passage is really clear, isn't it? Verse 25, husbands love your wives. In fact, don't just love them, husbands. Love them just as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, fellas, that's a high bar, isn't it? It means a sacrifice of my personal preferences. It means giving of myself. It means dying for the sake of my wife. And and not just in that one kind of heroic moment where I'll throw myself in front of my wife to protect her from the crazy guy with a gun. No, no, but also it it means dying to myself each day when I make the little decisions, not simply doing what's good for me, but looking out what's good for her. Loving her means caring for her spiritually. This is the idea of her being holy in verse 26. So, I need to make sure m- m- my own house is in order here, don't I? Making sure that my own spiritual disciplines are in, pra- in place and-, and take an interest in my wife's spiritual life and in her spiritual well being. Perhaps praying with her, perhaps reading the Bible with her, but whatever it is. Um, th- there's a sense, guys, of-, of leadership here if you're a husband. Not of unequals. The kids are told to obey their parents, but wives are never told to obey their husbands. See, we're not husbands. We're not. To be the kind of leaders we so often see around us. We're to be the kind of leaders that Jesus was, right? A servant leader. Doing what's best for her, even if that costs me. I don't say this to you guys because I'm always the perfect example of this. I'll tell you, I'm not. But here's what we're to do. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, what about the wives then? Firstly, again, let me be clear by saying what the passage is not telling you to do. This passage is not saying, Wife dumb, husband smart, therefore wife do what he say. Okay? No. This passage, uh, wives, is not telling you to stay in an unsafe relationship. This is not an instruction from God that you're to be his doormat. Again, to be clear, Domestic violence of any kind is wrong. It's horrid. God hates it. There's no warrant for it in the Bible. Women, if you're experiencing that, let me say a couple of things. It's not your fault. Um, tell someone you trust what's happening. Uh, call 1-800-RESPECT and get support there. Uh, get out of the house or get out of the situation. And I want to say... Um, if you're going through this and you choose to let us as a church know about it, I want you to know that we'll do everything we can to help you. Okay, so that's what the passage isn't saying. So what is it saying to wives then? In some ways, you might want to say it's really clear. Look at verse twenty-two. It's just simple, right? Wives, submit to your husbands, and submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Here's the issue I think we face with this passage today. It's around that word submit. Submit sounds so negative today, right? Even though that's not what's meant originally. In the context here, what this means is to let your husband love you like he's told to. Make it easy for him to lay down his life for you. And if it's still hard to hear that word submit, then you look further down to verse 33. In verse 33, there's a summary of the whole passage And it says there, however, each one is talking to the husbands. However, each one of you, you husbands, also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Wives, respect your husband. As he lovingly lays down his life for you, respect that. Respond positively to that. Make it easy for him to sacrifice himself for you. Has anyone been to a, a wedding recently? No, a couple of us. There you go. Um, Have you noticed there's an order to what happens, or at least there used to be? I know people write their own vows and do their own things these days, but but back in the day, it was always first that the bloke would promise to love his wife, and only then was the woman asked to respect her husband. And I want to say that's the right order of things, not because guys have to go first and women always have to be last, because women, you, you want to hear your man make that promise. Only if the bloke promises to sacrificially love you. And I'd say only if he's shown a track record of doing that in his life. And only if he, in your dating life together that he's been doing that for you. Only if he's, if he's got a track record. Only then promise to respect him like this. Wives, respect your husbands as they lay down their lives for you. Isn't there beauty in what the Bible is saying here? And of course, you can see Philippians 2 in all this, can't you? And Nate helpfully read out Philippians 2 at the start of the day. It's the key passage we keep coming back to again and again and again in this series because it tells us what we're aiming for in all our relationships. Philippians 2 verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. What was Jesus' mindset? What was his attitude to you? Is other person-centered. He laid down his life for you. Other person-centeredness. That's what strengthens marriages. Husbands lovingly being other person-centered, sacrificing themselves for the good of their wives, wives being other person-centered, respecting their husbands, making it easy for him to do this for you. And then we have two of the Bible's big passages about marriage. Just before we get into some of the practical things, I wanted to pose a couple of um, what-if questions then. Uh, Here's the first one. What if I'm not yet married? Or, Or What has this passage got to say to me then? Well, actually, it helps you know what to look for in a spouse, doesn't it? It's so easy to make this decision, friends, based on physical attraction. And there's something that's good and right about this. Uh, Attraction is a real thing. You want it in a marriage, right? But too often, that's the only thing we go by. This was my wife's mistake. She only looked for physical appearance. She shakes her head. (laughs) Um, No, but seriously, what we've seen, friends, is that godliness is more important, isn't it? Other-person-centeredness is more important. Women, look for a guy who's already being other-person-centered. That's the guy to marry. That's the guy who's already laying down his life for others. If if he's doing it for them, you know he's going to do it for you. Men, look for the girl who's already being other-person-centered who's godly in how she treats others, because she's going to be the person that's most easiest to lead to Jesus, isn't it? But, but actually, if you're not married yet, can I say this? Don't just assume marriage. Consider singleness. Now, we're going to talk a bit more about this next week. I'll say just now, singleness is not a second best option that you just fall into if, if marriage doesn't happen. In fact, singleness is something the Bible talks very highly about. But again, more on that next week. Come back next week. I'm looking forward to going through that. Now that's num- what if number one. What if I'm not married? What if number two? What if I'm divorced? Um, divorce it can bring up a whole lot of emotions. Right? It's painful. It's full of regret and sadness, and you know maybe shame and. I want to acknowledge this is painful ground we're walking on right now, and I don't want to pile on. Okay, I want to say, actually, the Bible recognises that divorce happens. Marriage can be wonderful, but it's also hard work at times. And putting two imperfect people together, look, they're not going to work it out always, are they? So there are parts of the Bible, like the one I've got in the... Oh, I've got the reference down. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 7... Um, particularly this part of the Bible speaks of, of God's intention in marriage. God's intention is, is that marriages work out. And actually, that's our intention too with marriage, isn't it? No one stands there on their wedding day thinking, oh, I'm really looking forward to the day the divorce papers come through. No one's thinking that. We, we, have, we have God's heart in marriage too. We, we want it to work out, right? But even places in the Bible like this place, 1 Corinthians 7, recognizes that marriage break, marriages break apart. It, 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 it happens actually, it's good for churches to know this so that we don't shun people when this happens. But we love and care for our brothers and sisters when they're hurting. So uh, if this is you, if, if you've had divorce in your past, I want to say just three things to you. Number one, I reckon it's worth having people that you openly talk about this kind of stuff with. Because there's times when this gets hard and you're going to need a friend who you can go to then, who knows you and who knows what's going on. Number two, if you'd like some more guidance on what the Bible says about this stuff, marriage and divorce, please feel free to catch Ada or myself, and let I want you know we would be happy to to chat through some of this with you. And number three, though, remember you're not outside of God's grace. Divorce does not put you outside of God's grace. All right, there's two what-ifs there. Now let's get into some practical stuff for marriages. And how do we build strong marriages? I just want to make a note here that a lot of what I'm going to say now comes from a conference. I was at where a couple whose names were Keith and Sarah Condy. They, 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 this, a lot of the material is, is, is from them. Yes, they're great. Yeah. Um, what you want to aim for in marriage to help build it and to keep it strong is to stay well-connected with one another. know, At the end of Genesis 2, you get a beautiful picture. Uh, verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Naked, I don't think it's just about physically, but, but, but emotionally. There's, there's no shame between them. These are, this is a well-connected couple. All marriages, well, let's be honest, all marriages have their arguments. And actually, I've heard, I, I, don't, I haven't seen a statistic on this, but I've heard it to be true that most of the arguments you have in a marriage are the ones that you keep having. As you don't resolve them, you just keep coming up again and again in different situations and different scenarios. And so amidst these, your marriage actually needs to be a safe place for each other. So don't let the arguments get out of hand. Be gentle. Don't let the difficult stuff overwhelm the good. Let, let positivity dominate over negativity in your marriage. But let me just go through. I think I've got four um, kind of practical things to help your marriage stay well connected. The first is this. Um, respond when your spouse tries to connect with you. And here, what I mean, is, I'm talking about the little things that happen in, in, just day to day. You know, where, you, where you come home and you, you give, give your spouse a kiss. Where someone walks in the room and you smile at them. Where you just say a little hey every time you see them during the day. Now, this is not the grandest, right? This is little everyday things we do. When your spouse does these things, you need to respond, to, to smile back, to give them a, a little compliment or a hug. Uh, look out for these opportunities. Be careful of things that get in the way, like having a device in front of your face all the time. I know this sounds small, but the research says healthy couples respond to these 70% of the time. Be on the lookout for them. Respond when your spouse tries to make those little connections with you through the day. Number two, repair interactions that are heading in unhelpful directions. As when, when things are going badly, put the brakes on. Uh, when, when an argument is getting ugly, take steps to de-escalate it. might mean something like softening your voice, making a peace offering, like, can I just go and make you a cup of tea? might mean hitting pause and allowing uh, you, you both to have a bit of time, a bit of space before you come back. Maybe even just like hit the delete and redo. Let's just start this again. Find out what works for you and your spouse and then do it. Don't let the wounds fester. You're to repair those interactions that are going in unhelpful directions. Number three, speak with gentleness and kindness all the time. This is true for any kind of relationship, and so it's especially true in marriage. Take a look at Proverbs 12.18. It says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords... But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Warm and gentle words build connection. Harsh and careless words damage the connection in your marriage. So beware of criticism. Beware of contempt. Not just verbal, but eye-rolling, sighing, those kinds of things. Beware of defensiveness. Beware of stonewalling, where you don't talk, where you don't engage. Instead, always start things, especially hard conversations, always start things gently. If you start things gently, there's much better chance that things will go well. Speak with gentleness and kindness. Number four, have fun together. What brings you joy? and Laughter? Do those kind of things. But don't just do it where husband goes off and he does his things and then wife goes off and she does her things. Do these things together. And I know it can be difficult because life is busy and because you know kids are there and you've got your commitments and whatnot, but, but it's actually worth making the effort for. Your mar- isn't your marriage worth making the effort for? Yeah. 4 I've got three up there. Four ideas. There's the fourth one. Have fun together. Um, four ideas to stay connected in marriage. Now. I'm going to stand out a moment, but one thing I've loved in this series is hearing from others in our church. This week I've asked Ben and Jen to come on up, uh, and they're just going to give us some practical wisdom from their years of being a married couple and what's worked for them in marriage. Again, the idea here isn't that Ben and Jen are the marriage experts and gurus on this, and we have to do everything they say, but it's a helpful way to start a conversation of of, um, thinking practically about our marriages.
2: Morning, everybody. I just have to make a nod to um, the movie Princess Bride. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today.
3: Okay, give you a bit of background: how we got together. We met at youth group, and we very quickly became good friends. We attended the same discipleship classes and we're both very active in youth. We had a genuine love and care for each other. Our friendship was based on faith and wanted to see each other excel.
2: As time went by, our orbits moved apart, but it didn't diminish the bond. At one point, Jen walked away from the faith and then later returned to a different church. Later, we reconnected and starting to, started to meet for coffee weekly.
3: Ben asked me out on a, a date multiple times over months, but I politely declined and said, We're just friends.
2: I was glad she didn't run away because there was no way I'd be able to catch her.
3: (laughs) I had no desire beyond friendship. And then uh, two things changed.
2: I'd finally reconciled myself to the fact that I was firmly in the friend zone. And then one night I had a dream with Jen in a wedding dress. And I woke up and I thought, God, not cool.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then one time when we were meeting for coffee in the morning... I could see Ben's mouth moving, and he was saying stuff, but uh, all I could see—I was distracted by a vision of that God gave of Ben's incredible inner beauty, which God revealed, and this made me see him in a totally different light. We dated for two years, got engaged, and undertook a pre-marriage course. This course was helpful in understanding where each other were coming from and what we were expecting in marriage. There were still plenty of surprises but it gave us some preparation.
2: We've now been married for almost 17 years. We have no children and an abundance of dad jokes. The first couple of years we were married were incredibly tough. I can't underscore that enough. Uh, We both struggled with our selfish attitudes, immaturity and unrealistic expectations. My disability provided some additional handicaps.
3: In my wedding ring, it is engraved self-love for Ben and in Ben's it says selfless love for Jen. So we knew intellectually that being selfless was important and we did honestly desire to do it, but actually living it out was a daily challenge.
2: We both knew the best way to handle an argument was to talk about it. Go for a walk. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to talk it through straight away, but Jen needed to go for a long walk first, which freaked me out because that was cataclysmic in my mind. We learned through experience that we both needed to individually process things with God before discussing it. One day, I was particularly upset and decided that I needed to call things, go for a walk to cool things off. I spent the first half of the block telling God how Jen was wrong, doing whatever was happening. God spent the second half of the block telling me I had to love her anyway, even if she was wrong.
3: We also recognize that Satan wants to cause trouble in the marriage. One day, Ben came home from work, and as soon as he came through the door, one of us said something in a sharp tone. The other person snapped back. Recognising that there was no need for an argument, Ben said, let me try that again. He went out, shut the door, um, opened the door again, and pretended to come in for the first time. And we both welcomed each other happily. We both laughed about it, not knowing where the animosity came from.
2: If it wasn't for our faith... With the Holy Spirit constantly encouraging us to put the other person first, our marriage wouldn't have survived those two years. I'm pleased to report since that every year has been an incredible blessing.
3: The biggest factor in both the survival and thriving has been our dependence on God, as individuals and as a couple. That dependence exhibits itself individually in quiet times, praying for each other and being actively involved in our church family.
2: When you're in a marriage, you don't want to draw family or friends into arguments or have them pick sides. One thing we, we wished we'd had, and so I'd recommend to you, is having trusted and impartial mentors who you can process things with that, for the complexities of a married life, without dishonouring dishonoring your spouse. For example, I would have loved to ask someone, are we fighting more than normal? How should I have handled this? This is one of the blessings a church community can provide. We've been careful not to speak down to or about each other. We use our words to build each other up. I have a bad habit of speaking negatively about myself. Jen chastises me soundly when I do.
3: We made the decision not to go to bed mad. That doesn't mean we don't resolve everything in the same night, but at least I can go to bed. I can sleep soundly anyway. (laughs) Previously, our wedding anniversaries went by with almost no fanfare. We had good advice from someone whose marriage had broken down. They encouraged us to treat our marriage as something worthy of great celebration. So now we make more of an effort.
2: We've also been on a marriage enrichment weekend, which is a whole lot less fun than you might expect. During the weekend, we got really honest with one another, sharing our deepest hurts and feelings. It taught us to be better at communicating and 100% has improved our marriage. Think of it like car maintenance. If you want your car to run well, you get it checked regularly. Finding shared interests can be a little harder, especially with my disability. It's important that I give Jen time to do the torturous physical activities that fuel her emotional tank. I would love to do them with her, but reality is this side of heaven I can't, so I quite often say as a joke, go for a walk, go for a bike ride, you're getting angry. <laughs>
3: At the same time, I'm conscious that one of Ben's love languages is quality time, so I make sure we get time together. We make it a point to guard our date nights amongst other commitments. I had a career in Sapol, which I absolutely loved, but when the shift work was causing continued tension, I chose to prioritise our marriage and change careers. It wasn't easy, but it was the right thing to do for us in particular and our marriage.
2: Life isn't always what you planned. Early on in our marriage, I started to struggle with irrational anxieties. Though at times Jen has understandably been frustrated, she's wonderfully supportive, encouraging and praise for me.
3: When we got married, we intended to have children. Sadly, that didn't end up being possible. There was a, it was a difficult time for us and it took many years to come to terms with it. Again, our dependence, again, depending on our relationship with God. During one of these times with God, crying out to him, I heard him say, will you still love me anyway? And it was an instant yes and only then did healing occur.
2: We have a lot of fun in our marriage. No matter what chore we're doing, we'll always be lightheartedly needling each other. For example, I do the washing twice a week, and at first I said that the washing fairy was taking care of things. I then thought that probably wasn't manly enough, so I changed it to the washing angel. But now the washing angel gets all the credit, and all Ben gets is more washing.
3: (laughs) One of our recent games that we've been playing is whoever gets to the bathroom first at night loads the toothbrushes. We've recently started hiding the other person's toothbrush and seen how long it takes for them to find it. Um, I've needed some help. Ben is remarkably good at hiding things despite his height and balance imbalance.
2: <laughs> Jen also has a habit of not shutting the doors properly, cupboard doors properly. In her defence, they're doors that pop open a little bit by themselves. But I have no problem shutting them. This could be a source of annoyance, but I play on it. So when I see a door open, I open all the other doors just so that she can feel at home. <laughs> <laughs> she, she says to me that that's because she's going to those doors to do work. I.e. linen, and I'm doing work by shutting the doors.
3: <laughs> now we also try to be considerate with the, uh, with one another. Every morning, Ben lovingly makes my cuppa every morning
2: ready. And thumbing our noses at feminists, Jen will always open my drinks for me, and I am the unchallenged master of their own control, which I assure you is more of a responsibility than a privilege.
3: Once Ben gave me a mangled paper heart. And let's just say he's Ben is better at hiding than he is at cutting. It's pretty mangled. For years now, we've passed the paper heart back and forth, randomly surprising each other with the gift that costs nothing but says, you're loved, and I'm thinking of you.
2: In summary, love God.
3: Love your spouse. And, and have, have fun, fun regularly. regularly.
1: Well, I'm not going to add anything to that. Let us, let's pray, friends. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good gift of marriage that you've given us in creation. Thank you that it points beyond something uh, that's just about two peoples or well, thank you that it's about Jesus and his church. We pray our marriages in our, the marriages in our church would reflect this beautiful thing that Jesus has done for us and our response to him. We pray that uh, there would, if there are those amongst us for whom uh, there's issues in their marriage, Lord, please help them take it to you. We pray if there's domestic violence amongst our church, Father, that it would stop and there'd be repentance. Father, please help us when marriages are tricky to do what is good and right and to seek help where we need it. Lord, we pray our marriages would honour you. Help us to do the things that build connection. And we pray that in, 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 in our, uh, when we do wrong to each other in the midst of our sin, that we'd seek your forgiveness and the forgiveness of our spouse. Father, marriages are a wonderful blessing, and yet they're also tricky at times. So. While we wait for the Lord Jesus to return, help us to honor you uh, in our marriages. And we ask for your help to do this because we know it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen.